He's the same God that parted the sea, who's here right now. And I don't know what you're facing, but he can part the sea and make a way for you where there seems to be no way. Think about that for a moment. The same God in the Old Testament that worked those miracles, the same God, Jesus Christ, in the New Testament, who worked those miracles, is the same God today, and he can work a miracle in your life. So whether you're at our Atascacita campus with Pastor Daniel over there, you guys give a shout out to everyone in Atascacita. They can hear you. Yeah. And you guys at Atascacita, give a shout out for the Woodlands campus. They can't hear you, but it's okay. We know you're doing it. Yeah. And every one of you worshiping with us online, wherever you are, I believe God's got a miracle for you today. It may be a minor miracle, but really there's no minor miracles. Sometimes the smallest things from God mean the most to me because I know God cares about every detail of my life. But I believe God wants to work some big miracles in our lives to make a way where there seems to be no way. So let's go to him because we need him now. Dear God, we thank you that you're here right now. We do need you now. That's why we're here. That's why we're connected, Lord Jesus, to, to really hear from you, from your word. And Lord, we admit that we all have needs and burdens that we're carrying and hurts that need healing. So we just pray that you do all you want to do today in our lives. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your miracles in advance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now, I have up here the kind of table that Jesus Christ ate at. You see, it was a low table, sort of like a coffee table. In the first century, in the Middle East, and sometimes still today, you'd come to the dinner table and you'd recline like this. It's kind of nice. Feels good. You would lie on the cushions, relax, and enjoy a good meal. And Chris and I said last week that Jesus ate a diet that was similar to the Mediterranean diet. He would eat figs and dates and some vegetables and they'd have olive oil and sometimes fish. And at every meal, he would have bread. But it wasn't the kind of flour we have today. You know, it was a heartier flour with more protein. But almost every meal, Jesus would eat bread. Can you imagine eating dinner with Jesus, just being reclined and relaxed and sitting at a table with the Son of God? This is also the kind of table that Jesus would have made in his father Joseph's carpenter shop. Think about that. I'm sure there are residents in Nazareth who ate at a dinner table made by Jesus. That'd be the ultimate conversation piece, wouldn't it? I mean, when someone came over for dinner and said, I really love your table, who made it? God. Yeah, the son of God made our table. He did a really good job, didn't he? Yeah, he made the table and the tree the table was made from. And I feel sorry for Jesus' half-brothers who also worked with him in that carpenter shop as Jesus crafted perfect table after perfect table, he must have. You know, and all his brothers are looking over, Jesus just finished another one, it's perfect. 
you know, they probably wanted to go over and just cut off about a fourth of an inch on one of the legs of the tables. You know, he finally made a wobbly one. Jesus, you messed up. I mean, I can't imagine the pressure of being one of Jesus' half-brothers. Well, we just started a new series that I'm calling Dinner with Jesus. And so many of the stories in the Gospels revolve around Jesus at the dinner table. In fact, we have accounts in the book of Luke alone of Jesus eating 10 times. As my amazing wife Chris said last weekend, Jesus eats his way through the book of Luke. And and by the way, if you missed last weekend's message, you missed one of the most powerful messages ever preached at Woodland Church. My wife brought it last weekend, didn't she? Those of you guys were here. We preached together, and after the first service on Saturday night, we got together, and Chris and I said, you know, what should we tweak? Is there anything we want to change? And one of my daughter-in-laws was standing next to us, and she said, Carrie, I don't even know why you're up there. Chris is amazing. She was half joking, but it was really true. And last weekend, Chris pointed out that one reason why Jesus did so much of his life-changing teaching at the dinner table was because dinner is every day. Dinner is every day, and Jesus wants to be the focal point of your everyday life, not just at church. The Bible is real clear. Jesus wasn't religious. With Jesus, it was all about relationships, and that's why Christianity is not a religion. It's all about a relationship with the Son of God. Jesus wasn't a stick-in-the-mud, no-fun religious leader who always acts so pious all the time and boring, no fun to be around. No, people love to be around Jesus. He was fun to be around. Except for the religious leaders, they didn't have much fun being around Jesus because he was always calling them out. But Jesus loved to recline at a dinner table like this with ordinary, broken, imperfect people like you and me. With Jesus, it would always start as dinner, but then he would take it deeper. It would start as dinner, but then it would go deeper. It would start with a table set with food, but then it would turn into nourishment for starving souls. And today I want us to look at a dinner party that Jesus attended. It started as a dinner party, but Jesus took it deeper. It started as a social event, but Jesus turned it into a saving event. So I want you to stand in honor of God's word. We're gonna look at the book of Luke in Luke chapter seven. As we see Jesus at the dinner party in verse 36, and this is a long passage, but just stick with me because there's so much in here that I want you to get. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So there it is, he's reclining at the table, and the table is filled. Just imagine that. It says that, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. 
One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, your faith has cured you. Go and be at peace. You can be seated. Jesus was invited to the home of Simon the Pharisee. Now, Simon was a prominent but prideful religious leader, and he throws this big dinner party. I believe the table must have been a lot longer than this, bigger than this. But it must have been the social event of the year. Everyone wanted a seat at that table because they were all curious to get an up-close look at Jesus. He was the talk of the town because of his amazing teaching and the miracles he was said to have performed. They all wanted to be there to hear from Jesus and to question Jesus and to learn about Jesus so they could make their decision about Jesus. They were there to judge him. And when all the wealthy and influential community leaders were all in their places, reclining around the table, the party was crashed. The town prostitute walked through the door and right up to Jesus and bowed down at his feet. And with tears streaming down her face, she opened up a bottle of expensive perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. Everyone looked at the woman and Jesus with critical eyes. They sat there in stunned silence, not knowing what to say. But then Jesus broke the silence when he spoke truth to the judgmental Pharisee. And then he turned to the woman and he said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has cured you. Simon came to the table that night because he thought Jesus needed his endorsement, his approval. Simon came to the table that night because he thought Jesus needed him. The woman came to the table that night because she knew she needed Jesus. And Jesus forgave her sins and it says she was cured. The woman experienced a deep healing. She was healed spiritually. She was healed emotionally. She was healed relationally. And then Jesus said to her, go and be in peace. She experienced peace from her past. She received peace in the place of her fears. She experienced peace instead of guilt and shame. She experienced peace of mind and heart. She, re she received forgiveness, healing, and peace. And that's what you find when you come to the table of grace. You experience forgiveness, healing, and peace. This story is really about the contrast between two people and two tables. The religious guy, the guy who hosted the dinner, but refused to sit at the table of grace. And the prostitute who came humbly 
to the table of grace. You see, the Pharisee came to the table of pride. That's where he sat. But she came to the table of grace and only one of them experienced forgiveness, healing, and peace. I want us to do a little study of this passage and sort of break it down because there are so many powerful, life-changing truths in here. So look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Simon looked at the situation and he summed it up. He thought, Jesus can't be the son of God. He can't even be a prophet. Because if he was a prophet, then he would know who's touching him. It's the town prostitute. The woman anointing his feet's a terrible sinner. And Jesus would kick her out of the house. Simon just looked at the surface level and he made his judgment. But Jesus looked deeper. Simon and the others at the dinner party were all about the surface level of life. To them, it was all about looking good on the outside. It was all about image. They looked great on the outside, but they were terminally sick and diseased on the inside. And until you see your deep need for forgiveness, you'll never experience forgiveness. Until you see your deep brokenness, you'll never experience deep healing. Whenever my grandkids get a little scratch or a cut, they always want someone to put a Band-Aid on it, especially if it's a Spider-Man Band-Aid or a Bluey Band-Aid. So we keep a lot of those kind of kid Band-Aids around our house. They think a Band-Aid can heal every hurt. But as adults, we know there's some wounds Band-Aids can't cover. Those internal cuts, those bruises and deep wounds of the heart that we tend to collect as we go through life. And the problem is, we usually settle for shallow Band-Aid solutions that do nothing to heal our deep wounds. Those deep wounds that require a deep cure. When a marriage explodes in conflict, instead of using the conflict to go to a new depth, usually couples keep attacking each other and arguing about the same surface issues over and over again. They're just putting the Band-Aid on the problem or we have this deep emotional wound from the past, and rather than face it, we usually fake it. We ignore it, we stuff it down, we stay busy, and we pretend everything's okay. We're just putting a Band-Aid on the problem. We're putting a Band-Aid on the trauma. And I see it with families, with parents who don't have the time or energy to really get into their kids' lives, and they feel guilty about it, so they buy them stuff thinking that's gonna solve the deep issues. They're just putting a Band-Aid on it. Surface level solutions. And we like Band-Aid surface level solutions. The only problem is they never work. Simon the Pharisee thought he understood the situation perfectly. He summed it up. He thought he was pretty brilliant. He said, that woman's a filthy sinner. Jesus isn't a prophet, he's a fake and I'm a really good person. That sums it up. But really, Simon was clueless because he just looked at life from the surface level. And why do we keep trying to put Band-Aid solutions on deep problems? Because we're just looking at life from the surface level. We're clueless to the depth 
of healing that we need from our brokenness. We're clueless to what the root issues are that are causing problems in our closest relationships. Hey, even the guy who invented Band-Aids suffered from this relational cluelessness. This is the true story of how Band-Aids were invented. It was back in 1920, and housewife Josephine Dixon was a newlywed living in New Brunswick, New Jersey, with her husband Earl. When Earl came home from his job as a cotton buyer with Johnson & Johnson, she would always have dinner on the table for him. Unfortunately, she would also have several cuts or burns on her fingers from cooking and cleaning all day. And without any adhesive bandage, Josephine had no easy way of bandaging her own cuts. And so Earl had to cut pieces of adhesive tape and then put cotton gauze and make a bandage for each wound. And this happened really often. Josephine always needed more bandages. Finally, after several weeks of her having more kitchen accidents, Earl hit upon an idea. And what was his brilliant idea? Was it to take her out to dinner? No. Was it to help her with her housework? Of course not. No, Earl sat down and prepared some ready-made bandages by placing squares of cotton gauze in intervals along an adhesive strip and covering them with crinoline. Now all Josephine had to do was cut off a length of the strip, wrap it over her cut. What a guy. He solved the problem. She had all the Band-Aids she needed. Earl here is thinking, what a husband I am. I've solved the problem. My wife's experiencing these cuts and, and, and she's getting hurt and she's slaving away in the kitchen, cooking all my meals and cleaning. And now she doesn't have to worry at all. She's gonna have plenty of Band-Aids to help her out. I'm just glad for Earl that it was in the 1920s and not 2023 or I think Josephine would have told him where to put those Band-Aids, probably. (laughs) But we're kind of like Earl when it comes to relationships. We're we're clueless. We just see things from the surface level, so we just want to put a Band-Aid on it and everything be solved, and we don't see the deep healing we need. Well, Simon didn't think he needed drastic and deep healing from his sins. Sure, he wasn't perfect, had a few little mistakes at times, He could just put a Band-Aid on it. But Jesus doesn't use Band-Aids. He doesn't use Band-Aids for deep wounds. He won't pretend that all you need is a Band-Aid to cover up the soul-rotting disease of sin that's in every one of us, that we all need healing from. Look at what Jesus tells Simon, because he knows what Simon is thinking. Now, that's the thing about being at the dinner table with Jesus. He was fun to be around. He was interesting, but he knows everything you're thinking. That's a little scary. I think I would be thinking all the time that Jesus knows everything I'm thinking all the time. But he loves us so much. Look at Luke 7:44. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. You see, Simon's real issue was pride. Simon not only judged the woman, but he thought he was better than Jesus. He didn't wash Jesus' feet. 
he didn't offer Jesus water to wash his own feet. In that day, washing a guest's feet was an essential formality. And if you didn't wash your guest's feet, at least you would give them a bowl of water so they could wash their own feet. But Simon didn't even do that. Not offering a bowl of water so a guest could at least wash their own feet before dinner as they'd wear these sandals and walk around on dusty roads. It was just an essential thing. And it was also something that showed honor to your guests. But you see, Simon was basically thinking, Jesus, you're so lucky I invited you into my home. I decided I wanted you to come to my house so we could question you. And you are so fortunate to be in my house because I'm a prominent leader, I'm very religious, I'm very pious, I'm very intelligent. Everyone wants a seat at my table. And I'm inviting you, you're so blessed. Simon was so proud that he didn't even offer to wash Jesus' feet. And that was considered a great insult in that day. Simon didn't see how great his need was because he was blinded by his pride. He was sitting firmly at the table of pride. But this woman knew she needed a miracle healing for her desperately broken life. She realized how much she needed deep healing for the sickness of her sins. She didn't want a Band-Aid solution. She wanted a deep cure. And aren't you tired of just looking for Band-Aid solutions? Just putting a Band-Aid on the problem and just keep going in life? When you have deep wounds and deep hurts, deep relationship problems and fractures, deep trauma in marriages and in families and in emotions, but you just try to stick a Band-Aid on it? Aren't you tired of reading the next self-help book? Don't you want a deep cure? Are you tired of trying to fix the problem on your own? You'll find that deep cure at the table of grace. When you come to Jesus at the table of grace, then you find forgiveness, healing, and peace. A deep cure to the deepest places in your heart. But Simon missed it because he, he was just firmly seated at the table of pride. And if you looked at Simon from the outside, you would say that Simon had it all together. He's wealthy, he has status, he's successful, he's religious, he's a good person, he's respected. Simon's got it all together. But Jesus looked right past the surface and right into Simon's heart. And he saw a cold, dark heart that desperately needed to be cured. In fact, he was in a more desperate situation than the woman because he didn't realize how desperate he was. And you're the most desperate when you're so desperate, but you don't realize how desperate you really are because you're seated at the table of pride. And when you're seated at the table of pride, you can't really see the reality of how things are. Well, she saw the reality. You see, Jesus looked right past Simon's outward appearance and right into his heart. And Jesus knew what he was thinking. Jesus knew what his heart looked like. And he said, Simon, I wanna tell you a story. There were two guys who owed a lender. One owed him 50 bucks, the other one owed him 500 bucks. And neither could pay the debt, but the lender forgave both of them. He canceled the debts. Now, which one do you think would love the lender more? And Simon said, I don't really get the point, but I guess the one that had a bigger debt. And Jesus said, you answered correctly. Jesus was saying, Simon, 
you think you have no debt. You think you have no problems. You think you have no needs. That's why you're missing the table of my healing grace. You don't realize that your debt is as great as this prostitute. You see, the first step to healing is to admit your desperate need for healing. That's the first step. You gotta see your desperate need instead of looking over at someone else, well, at least I'm not that bad. I don't need that much healing. This woman was so grateful because she knew her desperate need. There was no way around it. Simon could fake it before everyone else. And sometimes we can fake it because no one else knows all the brokenness in our heart. You know, no one else knows the bad and the ugly. They just know the good. And you can fake it for a while. You can fake it for a long time with people in public, people at the workplace, but you can't fake it with your family. You can fake it for a little while in marriage. That's what all newlyweds do. It's just normal and natural. But eventually, the real you comes out. And you can't fake it in marriage. Simon could fake it a little bit because he was a pretty good person. He didn't realize he was in the same boat as that prostitute who knew she needed desperate miracle healing from Jesus. You see, the woman saw her need, but she couldn't grasp her value. And this is what's so amazing. The first step to healing is you've got to see your great need. You've got to see the mess you're in. And then you come to the table of grace where Jesus is because you gotta see that he's your only hope. So first, you've gotta see your deep need and then you've gotta come to the table of grace to see that Jesus is your only hope. But then you'll see your value. This is so interesting in the story. The woman saw her need. She was well aware that she was broken, that she was sinful, that she had a great need for healing. But she couldn't grasp her value until she came to Jesus and Jesus spoke to her heart. And Jesus wants to speak value and worth into your heart today. You see, a while back I walked past one of those t-shirt shops, you know, where they have all those funny sayings and, and it was a, not a Christian t-shirt shop, so I had to put some of those sayings out of my mind as I walked on. But there was one that really caught my attention and it said, Jesus loves you, but everyone else thinks you're an idiot. I kind of wanted to buy that and wear it in front of some folks, but I, I didn't. But I thought in a way it's true. If Jesus loves you, it doesn't matter if everyone else thinks you're an idiot. If Jesus loves you, and he does, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you. If Jesus says you're valuable, it doesn't matter if everyone else thinks you're worthless. Simon looked at the woman and he said, trash. Jesus looked at the woman and he said, Treasure, beautiful, valuable, beyond measure, priceless. And when you come to the table of grace with all your brokenness, with all your mess, with not making any excuses, with not trying to put some Band-Aids on it, you come to the table of grace just as you are because you know how desperately you need forgiveness. Jesus looks at you and he says, treasure, beautiful, forgiven, priceless. You're so valuable. I paid for you with my life. Well, let's look back at Luke chapter seven to see 
what happens? And verse 37, it says, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So she opened up this really expensive bottle of perfume, probably the most valuable possession in the world to her. And she poured out the perfume, all of it, on Jesus' feet. And as it splashed on Jesus' feet, it mixed with something even more precious, her tears of repentance. She was accused of being wasteful. As she poured that alabaster jar of expensive perfume all over Jesus' feet, mixed with her tears, people looked at her in judgment and said, how wasteful, how strange. She was accused of being wasteful. She was accused of being extravagant. She wasn't wasteful, but she was extravagant. Yes, she was being extravagant, but she experienced extravagant forgiveness. She experienced extravagant emotional healing. She experienced extravagant peace. She didn't give extravagantly to earn Jesus' forgiveness. She didn't give that way to earn his healing. She gave extravagantly because... She was grateful for how much she had been forgiven, for how deeply she had been healed. And the table of grace is a table of extravagance. It's a table where you experience extravagant healing, extravagant forgiveness, extravagant peace, extravagant and undeserved blessings, extravagant and undeserved grace. When you come to the table of grace, you experience God's extravagant love for you. But I'm so grateful that the table of grace is set with extravagance for anyone who will come hungry, for anyone who will come empty and be filled. You see, the table was set that night with extravagant food to impress, to please. So everyone would say, look at how wealthy this guy is. Look at all this food he's brought in. We're so lucky to be here. It was extravagant. But everyone there except for this one woman who didn't eat a thing, they missed what was most extravagant. They missed the extravagant healing, forgiveness, and peace of God. But she, without eating anything on the table, her hungry soul was totally filled, extravagantly filled. Now I want you to look at another passage in the book of Luke that really grabs my attention. And it's about another meal, a meal that's in the future, a meal that you will eat with Jesus one day if you're a Christ follower. We look back on these meals that he ate in the New Testament with people that were so life-changing, but did you know there's a meal in the future that if you're a Christ follower, you'll get to eat with Jesus. You're gonna eat with Jesus one day. This is talking about the big marriage feast of the lamb in heaven one day. It's in Luke 14, 21, and Jesus uses a parable to describe it. He said there was this wealthy owner of this beautiful place, and he invited everyone to a banquet. All of his friends, and nobody came. And so he said this, the servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and told the servant 
Quickly, get out into the city streets and alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits and homeless and down and out you can lay your hands on and bring them here. I love that. He's saying that the people who are gonna be at that table one day in heaven, eating that extravagant feast, the people who are gonna be there are gonna be all the misfits and the messed up, all the broken and the hurting, all the sinful who've realized how much they need extravagant healing, forgiveness, and grace. It's all those who came to the table of grace. You see, the ground is level at the table of grace, and God wants you to come to the table of grace. It's open for everyone. Doesn't matter your socioeconomic level, doesn't matter your status, doesn't matter how famous or how unknown you are. It doesn't matter how wealthy or how poor you are. You can be a pastor or a prostitute, a billionaire or a beggar on the street. But if you come to the table of grace, recognizing that really on the inside you're a misfit, you're messed up, you're broken, you need Jesus at the table of grace. He's your only hope. You will experience extravagant forgiveness, peace, extravagant healing for all your brokenness. That's what the table of grace is all about, and it's for everyone. I love how Jesus rarely ate at a table like Simon's table that night. He knew he was to be there for one reason, that woman. He knew he was to be there for that one reason. This dear woman who knew that she was broken and she needed healing. He wasn't there for Simon. He wasn't there for those important people. She was the important one he was there for because she chose to come to the table of grace while everyone else sat firmly at the table of their pride. Jesus loved to eat at the table of misfits and sinners and broken people who knew they were broken. He loved that. He did that all the time. In fact, that was what the Pharisees accused him of. The big thing they accused him of was eating and drinking too much. He was a glutton, and he hung out with sinners. Now, the first one wasn't true. He enjoyed food, he ate, he drank, but he wasn't a glutton. But the second one was true. He hung out with sinners. And he was glad to be at the table of grace with those who knew they needed the table of grace. He hung out with imperfect, broken people like you and me, and I'm so grateful for that. And you know, that really describes what a life group is. A life group is some imperfect and broken people who don't have it all together, but they're following the one who does. And they're sitting at the table of grace, enjoying each other, learning and growing, becoming more like Christ, learning from each other, having fun together. That's what a life group is. And by the way, we're starting something that I'm so excited about. We're starting hundreds of new family dinner life groups. And in a week, they get started, but we have so many new family dinner life groups that are starting that we need you to host one. We need hundreds of hosts for all these new groups. And if you host one, all you've gotta do is open up your home, invite a few friends, make a meal, 
It doesn't need to be an extravagant meal. In fact, I would say don't make an extravagant meal because then you'll have to do it at your house all the time because no one else will want to compete with you. And you want to be able to rotate it. And so you invite some friends over and then if you want us to, we will bring some more people over who've signed up. Some people your age and stage live in your neighborhood. And then you just have a meal and then you show the 10 minute video that our pastors put together and and then you just discuss it. You don't have to teach anything. And then I do recommend you rotate it. It's one night a week for six weeks. And I'm telling you, you will love it because what'll happen is you'll have fun with people who don't have it all together but they're seeking to go the right direction and you're, you're getting to know each other, you're eating together, you find out you got a lot in common. And then what you'll find is the dinner will take you deeper. Over the next few weeks, that dinner will take you deeper and you'll build some lasting friendships that become what we call fellowship. Those relationships that go to a deeper level. And so we need you to host. I'm just challenging hundreds of you to step out and say, I'm gonna host. And we've given you a little card as you came in. You can just fill out that little card as you came in and just turn it in. And by the way, we have pastors out there who will help you. And when you sign up to be a host, we call you, we come alongside you, we tell you everything that you need to know and we help you with it. And if you need us to send people who've signed up, then we'll do that. And it's, it's gonna be amazing. So sign up. And by the way, we have two things on campus that relate to that. We have real moms that start Wednesday at the Woodlands campus And then I believe it's Thursday at the Tascacita campus. So if you're a mom of a preschooler or a child, then you need to meet. We have childcare. It's really a lot of fun. My daughter-in-law, Sarah Shook, leads it. And she's got all these great leaders with her. And it's just learning together, having some fun together, have a little study of God's word together. But really, it's just learning from each other and getting encouragement that you need desperately. And then we're having a dad's breakfast And that dad's breakfast goes for six weeks on Wednesday morning at 6.30. And so all you guys, um, I really challenge you to be here Wednesday morning at 6.30. We feed you breakfast. And um, my son Ryan leads this six-week study. But we have a lot of fun. I'm going to be kicking off the first one teaching this Wednesday at 6.30 right here at the Woodlands campus. And it's just for fellowship and for connection. We feed you breakfast and you go off to work or you can go then take your kids to school, whatever you need to do. And then on October 8th, Sunday night, the last weekend of the series, we're gonna have a church-wide family dinner on the grounds at both of our campuses. 6 p.m. Sunday night, October the 8th. We're gonna barbecue. We're gonna have all the fixings and all the fun. We want everyone in the church to come. It'll be out on the plaza. We're just gonna have a great time and it's just all about relationships. We're gonna be like Jesus. That's the goal. And I am not going to turn five loaves and two fishes into feeding 5,000. We're gonna take some guys with a spiritual gift of barbecuing and some gals and it's gonna be amazing. So be here, it's gonna be a lot of fun for the whole family. If you're a single adult, we're gonna just have a great time together. It's gonna be so much fun for every one of us. So how do you get connected? How do you host? Well, you fill out that little card, but you can also go online, and you just go online to any of our um, connection points, and you just click host, 
a family dinner group, and then you check what kind of group you wanna host, age and stage and all that, and then we connect with you and we help you in every way. So there's no excuse. You know what I have come to realize? Didn't know this for a long time in my life, but I've come to realize that it takes extravagance to build deep and close relationships. There's really no other way. It takes extravagant time, extravagant connection. It takes extravagant intentionality more than anything to say, you know what, I'm gonna cut some things out so I can do the most important thing. I've just, over time, I've seen that it just takes extravagance to build a close and deep marriage, family, close relationships, you have to make it an extravagant priority. And there's just no other way. And I challenge you to make that family dinner life group an extravagant priority. Not by making an extravagant meal, but by making time for it and taking a step of faith and going for it. You know, maybe the reason that the table Jesus ate at was so low to the ground is because that's a perfect symbol of the table of grace. You have to humble yourself to take your seat. You have to humble yourself and take your seat and to realize that you have a desperate need for him and then he lifts you up. Look at Ephesians 1, 6. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. If you're a Christ follower, if you've come to the table of grace, do you realize the riches that are there for you? I think a lot of people who are Christ followers, they come to the table of grace, but they don't eat much. They don't realize you can get full on the grace of God, and so they always live in guilt still when there's no condemnation in Christ anymore. They're not having victory over sins, and they're going through struggles and not trusting him. You can live and breathe in his grace and experience his grace every day. His forgiveness, his healing, his peace is right there for you, but you gotta stay at the table of grace. Every day just about, I step up and I go to the table of pride for a little bit, thinking I can handle it, thinking I can do it, thinking I'm doing pretty good. And then I fall, but I'm right there when I fall at the table of grace. Live in the riches of his grace. Fill yourself with the riches of his grace. Stay hungry every day for the riches of his grace. In the mid-1700s, John Newton was the proud captain of a ship involved in one of the greatest evils of all time, slavery. His fleet had taken over 20,000 men, women, and children from their homes in Africa and sold them into slavery to wealthy Europeans. John Newton had become rich on the slave trade, but one of his trips back to England his fleet ran into a terrible storm and his ship was about to sink and the fear of God just came over his life and John Newton fell to his knees to the table of grace and he prayed and he asked Jesus Christ to give him grace and forgiveness for all of his sins and later the storm subsided but John Newton's life was never the same again. He was forever changed and when he got back to land, immediately he resigned, he gave up the slave trade and then years later, he became a pastor in the Church of England, and he preached grace constantly in his church. He had a powerful story of grace, and he preached the grace of God, and his church was packed. He preached 
that everyone has a great need for forgiveness because we're all a mess and broken. And his church became huge as everyone wanted to hear the story of grace from God's word because that's what the gospel is all about. The good news of the grace of God for all the sinful and the broken. And William Wilberforce was 21 years old and an agnostic when he walked into John Newton's church and he heard the message of grace and he made a faith commitment to Christ. You see, William Wilberforce was the youngest member of the British Parliament at 21. He was handsome, wealthy, brilliant, and influential. He was sort of a rock star in his day, but he had no cause to live for until he made that faith commitment to Christ. And through John Newton's influence, he became so disturbed by the evils of slavery that he made it his life cause to abolish slavery in the British Empire. And every year he would bring up an abolition bill. And for 30 years it got voted down. He was no longer a rock star. People talked behind his back and people tried to diminish his influence. He lost his status in social circles. But in 1825, he resigned from the House of Commons, feeling like he had failed at his life cause. But then in 1833, because of all his efforts, finally, after all those years, an emancipation bill was passed, and slavery was ended in the British Empire. And it all started with John Newton. John Newton was not only a great pastor, but he was also a great songwriter. He wrote many hymns, and he wrote the most famous song that's ever been written, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That is the table of grace. And it's open to all, and maybe there's someone out there that thinks, you know, Carrie, I can't come to the table of grace. You don't know what I've done. I've just gone so far from God. You can never go so far that you've gone too far for the table of grace because he'll move the table to right where you are if you'll just turn around and bow before him and come to the table of grace. And some of you think, yeah, you know, I probably need to change a few things. Probably need some forgiveness. And you're just trying to put a Band-Aid on it and it will not cover the deep darkness, that sickness of sin that's in your life. We're all in the same boat. You see, heaven's a perfect place for perfect people, and none of us are perfect. And compared to God, we're all in the same boat. We all need forgiveness as much as that prostitute. We all need forgiveness. We're all in the same boat. And I think sometimes it's much easier for someone who's made to feel like they've gone too far to come to Jesus than for those who feel like they're pretty good to come to Jesus. But we're all in the same boat. And it is amazing grace. Let's stand together and let's pray and thank God for his amazing grace. And if you've never received it or come to the table of grace, you can get it settled right now. I want every one of us to pray this prayer. Just repeat after me. For those of you who never received Christ, you'll be inviting Christ into your life. You'll be sitting at the table of grace. And I want everyone who's already received Christ in our church, all the Christ followers to pray this prayer too out loud so that those who haven't will feel more comfortable to do that and it will remind you of the grace of God in your life. So just repeat after me. Dear Jesus Christ, 
I admit I need you desperately. So I come to the table of grace today. And I ask for your forgiveness. Heal me of my brokenness. Come into my life and change me from the inside. I accept your peace. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your healing. And I accept your gift of heaven. I ask you to be the Lord of my life and help me grow in my faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment? And if you prayed to receive Christ, if you prayed to receive Christ, would you just raise your hand? Sometimes when you raise your hand, no one's looking. I wanna see that hand so I can pray. Yes, I see all those hands. Just raise your hand. Just have a little bit of courage. No one's looking. I'm, I wanna pray for you. Just raise your hand. Yeah, see all those hands. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I thank you for all those who just received you into their life. I know you'll never leave them. You'll always be in their life. Help them stay at that table of grace to experience all your blessings. Help them grow in their faith. Lord, I just thank you. Help them take the next step. And I thank you for every one of us, Lord Jesus, because you love everyone as if we're the only one. And I just pray throughout this series that everyone would not only get connected to you at the table of grace, but connect to others at the table of grace. Others who know we need your grace, who don't have it all together, but we wanna follow you, the one who does. And I pray for those, Lord, who are hurting deeply, going through the most painful time of their life, realizing their problems they face that they just can't overcome. I thank you, Lord, that you love them so much and you're right there for them. Lord, give them your grace, your peace, your strength, and your power, and work a miracle in their life this week. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing to him, and as we do, think about his amazing grace. Think about the fact that one day we'll eat with him in heaven, and that's gonna be the last message in the series. It's Chris and I are gonna bring it, because we're gonna talk about when you're gonna eat with Jesus, and it's gonna be amazing. Their great homecoming, but let's just sing about his amazing grace. And as you do, thank him for the grace that he's given you. Thank him that there's no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ. Those of you who just received Christ, man, what a great feeling. He canceled your debt. He forgave your sins. He loves you and he says, treasure, precious, valuable. I love you. Let's sing. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.